When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The more we control our children, the more out of control they feel. That might seem counterintuitive, but it really makes a lot of sense. We're going to be unpacking that with our author friend, Emily Edland. Stay tuned. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Thank you for supporting our sponsors and thank you for being our listeners. The more controlling we are with our children, the more out of control they feel. That's a sentence from a fantastic new book, Autonomy Supportive Parenting, Reduce Parental Burnout and Raise Competent, Confident Children by child psychologist and mom of three, Emily Edlin. You might not be familiar with the phrase autonomy supportive parenting. I wasn't until I learned of Emily's work, but I know because you are an On Boys listener, I know that you want to raise competent, confident boys. And Emily's book and my own experience have convinced me that releasing and sharing control can get you there. We're going to let her explain. Welcome, Emily. Hi, it's so good to be here. I'm excited to talk with you today. Let's start at the beginning. Tell us about the links between control, competence, and confidence. Okay, so I'm going to get a little geeky here, but hang with me. This really comes back to this whole idea in psychology. And let me just tell you, I'm a psychologist. I got my PhD years ago. And I didn't remember this. So <laughs> love it. I did. Yeah. So I did. I maybe rediscovered it. I probably learned it at some point. But there's this idea called self determination theory. And it is the idea that all humans have three fundamental needs, which are autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And when we feel those needs are fulfilled, we experience overall need satisfaction, which relates to just generally feeling better about life, being happier and healthier, uh, feeling better about ourselves, all of that good stuff. So autonomy supportive parenting is nurturing those three fundamental needs in our children. So that's how it connects Mm -hmm. And I will say that it's a great theory, but it's actually been proven. So there's tons of science behind it that there's been research done all over the world, cross-culturally, really showing over and over again that people experiencing greater autonomy, competence, and relatedness are happier and healthier and do better in all areas of life. So that's the nutshell. Let's break this down a little bit more because I think it's helpful to make sure we're all using terminology the same, right? Yeah. Autonomy. That's a big one. And it took me a while writing this book for me to even truly grasp the, just the broadness of what autonomy really represents. So autonomy is that sense of agency. 
So feeling like you are generally living the life you want to live, that you're in charge of your life on a Mm. broad scale, and that you also have a strong sense of who you are and you're in touch with your authentic self and that you're living by your personal values. Another part of autonomy that gets lost that I want to point out is that being truly autonomous, according to the thought leaders in this area, is also respecting the rights of others. And that's how relatedness is connected to all this, Mm -hmm. is that when you're in relationship with others, you learn about boundaries and respect and respecting others' needs and rights while you're respecting your own and expecting the same. This is good stuff because uh, so often I think people, especially now, we hear the word autonomy. Some of us know it in terms of like autonomous vehicles, right? (laughs) So you think of things that operate independently. We think of autonomy as independence. And if if I hear what you're saying, there's interdependence here. Yes, absolutely. And thank you for bringing that up because there's actually been a lot of research where in some studies autonomy was measured as independence. Okay. And it didn't hold up in the same way. It wasn't um, as sturdy. So when it's when it's defined as behaving by your own volition or it's that sense of agency, that is the sturdier definition okay. of autonomy. So that's different than independence. But in yeah. our Western world, we do equate autonomy and independence. And I do talk, I mean, independence is a component, but it's within interdependence and being in connection with others. So this is all pretty highfalutin. I know. Great stuff. (laughs) I love it. I geek out on this stuff too. One of the things I love about your book, listeners, I love her book because it is so clear that she's a mom too. And this is messy. Real life is messy. There's no perfect, beautiful, wonderful answers. So Emily, when your kids were born, when my kids were born, Janet, when yours were born, nobody handed them to us and said, so there are three basic human needs. Yeah. <laughs> Nurture these needs. Right. And here's right. what autonomy means. We are all just trying to keep this creature alive. Yeah, I know. I joke in the book. They say there's no parenting manual, but yet so many have been attempted, right? (laughs) Absolutely. I attempted one. You attempted one. You know, you had this background in psychology, but even so, you have these kids and you have to figure out what to do with them. In your book early on, you you said that you kind of stumbled upon approach that you called lazy parenting. I laughed when I read that, Emily, because I named my approach benign neglect. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And this is what I talk about with parents all the time is lazy parenting. It is good for you to be lazy because that means your kids are, are learning their agency and their autonomy. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, really true autonomy, supportive parenting. So I'll go back. Yes. I, I called it lazy parenting. And then when I started researching more, I realized, oh, this autonomy supportive parenting sounds much more positive. I still love lazy parenting because, and I'm going to tell you why I love it, because we hear all these messages of all these things we're supposed to do, supposed to do, supposed to do. And it always feels like one more thing. And so in lazy parenting, I hear, I don't need to work too hard 
And because we're talking about the autonomy, support of parenting and the science and psychology behind it, and it's good for my kids, win-win. Right. Well, so I'll tell you in my own journey as a mother, I, you know, started out working in academic medicine in really intense jobs. And I had my first three kids, well, only three kids, I'm not having any more. So I had my three kids while in that working in that environment. And I just couldn't give my kids what the parenting guidance of the day seemed to be mm-hmm. promoting, which was this really intense availability and vigilance. And I just didn't have it in me. And I realized stepping back from kind of what has been being preached with this intensive parenting is that's not good for our kids. You know, they, they need the freedom to explore and experiment. And this is where stepping back and sitting on the couch to read a magazine instead of playing Legos with your child is okay. It's really okay. Oh, I wish you'd say that in capital letters, Emily. (laughs) You know, what I hear here too is parents, you can release some guilt. Yes, please. Yes, please. That was a big mission of writing this book. I like to say that I wrote the parenting book I wanted to read. And a huge part of it was to help parents have more self-compassion and more grace and just relax about this whole parenting thing. And that's why, Jen, I share so much of my parenting and mothering journey and the all the mess of it because we're all human in this process. And I think accepting that humanity actually helps us be better parents than trying to be perfect. Oh, I want to hear that again in capital letters. <laughs> accepting our humanity. Yes. Yeah. And it's good for our kids because don't we want our kids to accept their humanity, Mm -hmm. right? And so if they see us putting so much pressure on ourselves to be the best parent all the time, and it's actually stressing us out, they're absorbing a message there, right? That you need to be the best all the time or you're failing. And I don't think we want that for our kids. No, or the message of parenting is stressful and it's no fun. And ooh, maybe I don't want to grow up and be a parent. Right. Absolutely. Let's break it down a little bit more in the trenches. So one of the other sentences I loved related to this is you wrote, what can look like ignoring my child's needs is actually a calculated parenting decision. It can be so hard to parent in public sometimes because you feel the eyes and the pressure and the the judgment of others. Can you give us some examples of like what that might look like with, you know, say a a four-year-old or a seven-year-old? Yeah. So that story was my son when he was four and he was putting himself in a situation that exceeded his skill level, which was playing gaga ball with older kids. I knew he was going to fail and get upset. And I also know he doesn't respond well in the moment to my comfort because he gets too stuck in the difficult emotion. And so he got tagged out of the game, ran over to the blacktop and was down on the ground crying. And I just stood a few yards away from him and watched. And another parent said, oh my gosh, you're not even going over there. I can't even imagine not doing that. And then Mm -hmm. she said, however, 
this is where I realized she wasn't judging me. She said, that's probably why I'm still packing my son, my teenage son's luggage for him. (laughs) So she drew the line between trying to rescue too much and then ending up with them being too dependent. That was a great moment of insight for her to put that all together that quickly. It was. And it helped. I mean, this was before I started writing the book, but it, it stuck with me. And what did my son do? He got up and he ran back to the game. And you know what? That was that was his process to fail, get upset, and try again. And he didn't need my comfort to go through that process. I liked that you said early on in the story, even at four, you knew this kid. You'd had yeah. four years with him. You knew this was a kid that like your efforts to like comfort him, maybe physically or with words, sometimes almost prolonged it. You knew that about him. Yes. And I have a kid, uh, one of my four, that's very much like that too. And I learned that, you know, better off letting him get upset, go off and do his own thing. It's different with different kids. And you make that point in your book too. So autonomy supportive parenting is a good approach for all kids, but what that will look like for each kid can be different, right, Emily? Yes. So I really emphasize that this is a flexible framework and not a prescription. This isn't you need to do this and don't do that as much as it is. Here are some guiding principles and ways for you to think about how you're parenting and approaching your kids. And then you flex it based on each child's needs and temperament and personality, as well as your own. I mean, we're a factor in this too, Mm -hmm. right? Like our own needs and styles and personalities. I know all of our parents are out there going, okay, this is great. I still can't get my son off screens. What, I just let him go. What, how does this play into this? I'd say the number one dilemma for parenting in these times. Yes. And I actually, I have a whole chapter on digital life is what I call it. So Mm -hmm. it kind of covers the gamut from young kids being stuck on iPads and throwing tantrums when they have to come off the iPad up through social media and worrying about your teenager being addicted to being online. But I would say in general, I talk about a continuum. So on one side of the continuum is low structure high freedom, which is considered permissive parenting. So that's the idea of just do whatever you want. There aren't a lot of limits, not a lot of expectations or rules. You can game for 12 hours, right? Until you zonk out. And then on the other end of the spectrum is controlling, which is very rigid structure and low freedom. So that would be really tight rules about around gaming And there's no debate about this, right? This is how it is. And there's no freedom to explore experiment within that. I will admit that I started on that end, you know, the rigid and the rules. And I ended up sliding (laughs) down on the continuum because it was logistically impossible. I had four kids. My full-time job was going to be, you know, counting how long who was on what internet. And then does it count if they're watching their, like... For me, it was impossible. Yes. And the micromanaging that has to go along with it is just, it's soul sucking and it's terrible for our relationship with our kids because Mm -hmm. it just becomes about this nitpicking, right? Mm -hmm. On screen time. And there's so many ways around it. But the middle of the continuum is autonomy, supportive parenting, where there 
is flexible structure and freedom to explore within that structure. So with screen time, for an example, you talk to your kid, you get their input around reasonable expectations for screen time. And maybe you flex your requirement a little bit, and then they flex like their ideal world a little bit, and you meet together in the middle, but they've been part of that process. And then you see how it goes and you keep communicating about it if there are problems. If you are seeing this is taking over their life in an unhealthy way, you bring that up as part of your job as a parent to provide limits that are healthy for your kid and talking it through with them. But I think the idea is this is a discussion rather than an imposed rule that can't change, which they'll rebel and they'll find their way to meet their needs by sneaking around, by lying, by doing all sorts of things that we don't want them to do. This is not a theoretical discussion for you. This is something that you have very much dealt with in your parenting. I mean, like all of us, you've been doing this during this time. So you you admit in your book, like you once wrote a blog post, you know, very <laughs> passionate, preteen should not be on social media. And then what happened? And then, I don't know, a few weeks later, my oldest said, I really want TikTok. <laughs> and she started constantly talking about it. She's a very persistent child and she will debate endlessly. And it wore me down. <laughs> yeah. That's real. That's yes, real. That's but real. it's also your daughter. And I know this is on boys, but this is this is not necessarily gender or, or not. This is humans. Your daughter also made a case and you listened to her and you considered yeah. her input. And that's really different from how a lot of us were parented. There is such a difference between how we were parented and how we are being stretched to parent now, to parent these kids now. And wow, this is a fascinating conversation. We'll be back for more after these messages from our sponsors. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out and you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand 
about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me. So I'm 51. She's 41. And she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash onboys. Winona, menopause care made easy. Yes, and I think that's a big thing to realize. We, okay, if we're talking about Gen X parents, maybe like older millennials, I don't know what we're calling everyone these days, but (laughs) we probably grew up with parents that, I mean, my parents are very autonomy supportive in many ways, but the general parenting culture was very much like, you just do what I say. Yeah. I, I'm sure a lot of us have parents who are the grandparents to our children saying, uh, you never would have acted like that. I hear a lot of parents say, saying, my child is talking to me in ways that I would never have talked to my parents. Yes, that is really a common theme. So I think what's happened is we've swung a little to the opposite side of that, of really valuing in a good way, our connection and relationship with our children. It's very positive. I think that part of the pendulum swing is very healthy for families to really regard our child's dignity and worth and value as a human and connect with them. But in that process, I think we've gone too far around not having enough limits or being controlling around things like their academics and, you know, some of this fear-based parenting that's very overprotective. So it's coming now from, I'm so feeling so close and connected to my child. It hurts me for them to hurt. And so there's this Mm -hmm. overprotection that I think has become the other end of the pendulum swing. So I'm going to say grandparents love my book. It's so funny. I think 
they see some of this as like, oh yeah, this is back to basics of how we parented in many ways. But I would also say, I don't think it was the trend to really value a child's autonomy growing up back in the 80s. But uh, I sure didn't get that feeling as a child in the 80s. But, you know, I know I'm I am a case of one. So right. Yes. Yeah. And I haven't seen research on this. I don't know. I'm just kind of theorizing. Um, let's let's go with what Janet said there for a minute, because this pendulum swing and we've got parents saying and grandparents saying, you know, like, Ugh my kid never would have talked to me like that. Help parents navigate this line between I value and respect my child's dignity and worth. I want my child to know that their opinions and thoughts matter. And I don't want to be talked to in this way. Mm -hmm. I feel like the missing part maybe is setting some boundaries and remembering, as you said before, our own needs are part of this. Right. And we are also their teachers. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're brains are underdeveloped. We are the ones with adult brains <laughs> fully formed that have better judgment. And we have already learned the things that they need to learn around how to treat other people. So when they are really disrespectful to us, it's fine to give them that feedback. It's important to give them that feedback that the way you just talked to me is not okay. We don't mm -hmm talk to each other like that in this family or whatever you're like how you want to frame it within values. Mm -hmm. So I talk a lot in my book about the use of values to guide kind of your family's framework with this. And maybe respect is a really deeply held value. So then you talk about the behavior within the context of the value. So mm -hmm. I say we love and accept our children for who they are. We don't have to accept all of their behaviors. It's not useful for them. I love that so much. Some of the parents that I work with are, I think, kind of paralyzed around when their child says, I hate you. You're the worst parent ever. It feels like they don't know how to respond to that because they're going down their rabbit hole of, oh my gosh, I am the worst parent ever because mm. my child is speaking to me this way. Rather than what you said, Emily, is, and I love that you're putting it in the context of family values. In our family, we don't speak to each other like that. Because you want your child to know that when they're out on public transportation somewhere and they need this lesson and they've got to have it from you. Right. And if we have a moment, I know like one of my triggers is being told to shut up. I mean, that gets me hot, you know? And so I think... We need to know our triggers and where we're going to be especially reactive and just realize even if we have those moments and it's okay, you're going to be, your relationship is fine when you have those moments of disruption, but to come back later when everyone's calm and talk it through more about what was going on in that moment. So it's okay to come back later and say, I really don't think you hate me, <laughs> like, but something's going on here that you're upset about. So mm. can we talk about it more and talk it through? So you said you hate me, but I think you meant something else. Like there's something else you're upset about. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also when kids say, I hate you, I feel like they're out of resources. They're out yeah. of words. They absolutely are at the bottom of their barrel and they have no other thing to say at that point. Yes. And I also remind parents, do not take it personally. Personally. 
Yeah. So yeah. that's the other thing is I worry that with the pendulum of how close and connected we're supposed to be with our kids all the time, we over-personalize our mm-hmm. parenting. And so our child acting in a way that we don't like or is it against our values, we then think that's a referendum on our parenting. And then we get into that spiral of guilt and failure and I'm not parenting right when really uh, this is what kids do. Like this is part of their development. They have, they're going to do things that we don't like and that aren't aligned with values because they're growing up and figuring things out. So I think if we change expectations, that helps us also respond better in the moment. I think that is why I so loved this part in your book. You wrote a note of caution. We may think we're doing great if our teens listen to everything we say and do everything we want them to do. Research suggests otherwise. And then you go on to say that the evidence shows that a highly obedient adolescent is likely not a healthy one. At risk for sneaking, lying, and other ways of defying parents. And I love this, both as a, as a now in my 50-year-old human and as a parent of teens, because I was that highly obedient adolescent. And I did not a lot, but when I felt I needed to, air quotes, when I felt I needed to, sure, I snuck around and did what I needed to anyway. And I was not emotionally healthy. It's taken me like decades of therapy to try and figure out who I am and what I want in the world. And also it makes me feel good as a parent of teens because I'm here to tell you that they do not listen to everything I say or do everything I want them to do. Right. And that's their job. So I really want to focus on what you just said. It took me decades of therapy to figure out who I am and what I want to do. The whole aspiration of autonomy supportive parenting is that we are raising a child who knows that once they're an adult. Mm -hmm. And in our support of their exploring their identity, experimenting with different ways of being in the world, they do better figure out who they are and what they want instead of listening to us telling them, you are a straight A student, you are a top athlete, you are Ivy League material, and you want to be a doctor or whatever it is. Yeah. there's that messaging, then they don't know. Then when they're an adult, they have their parents' ideas, but not their own. I do think this is my personal theory and I found some evidence to support it. And maybe you know more. I think this is part of why we have so many boys, teenage boys, young adult men who are quote unquote unmotivated. Mm-hmm. They don't know who they are or what they want. Well, and they've had this pressure their entire life. I'm working with one family right now. And the mom is like, you will go to MIT. And I'm thinking, wow, that is so much pressure on this child. I mean, and there's been a movement towards it's okay to be average. It's okay to be mediocre. It's all right. Not every child is going to aspire to be a doctor, to go to MIT. And that's okay. Because we just need good people. And our exactly. boys don't, especially, I mean, our, not every boy is college material. So let's right. find a place where he can shine at his, I'll say, level, but 
you know, we do need electricians, we do need carpenters, and that isn't any less than going to university, I feel. So my oldest two are girls, my youngest is a boy, but what I can already see, and I know this from the literature, but what, you know, in real life, boys take yeah. longer to mature generally. Mm-hmm. Amen. Take- Thank you for sharing that. Amen. <laughs> right. And I feel like the setup of school is more for girls development. Yep. And so it's going to take boys longer to hit those milestones that girls and I know these are generalizations, but it's just easier for girls to hit them because their brains and their hormones are just working in a way that's helping them do it mm-hmm. earlier than the boys. So I, what I see with the boys in my therapy practice is just, if you're a little patient, <laughs> they, they get there. Yes. And especially if you're supporting their autonomy in the process. Some of you have heard me say this a lot, but supporting their autonomy in the process can look depending on the circumstance, it can look like minimizing or even nearly eliminating your emphasis on his grades and nurturing his interests, whatever that might be instead. Giving over, say, a third of your garage to your kid tinkering with all kinds of stuff and eventually letting him rebuild a snowmobile. And yes, these are examples from my book and my (laughs) life. Um, But you know, it, it worked. I never heard the words autonomy, supportive parenting, you know, 22, gosh, more than a quarter century ago when I started parenting, but that is what I did. And I am here to tell you, I have very autonomous children who my youngest is now 17. He knows himself better at 17 than I did in my mid thirties. And nothing else. I feel good about that. As you should celebrate that. Absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing. I think. Uh, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to provide a little extra context here. So yes, celebrate that. That's amazing. The same child overslept yesterday, did not get to school on time. I was at an appointment. He texted me. It's He's like, I just woke up. Uh-oh. I'm like, yeah. Uh-oh. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's his natural consequence, right? I mean, exactly. You know, right. And I so, want to remind listeners too that this is also the child who uh Jen got a lot of emails and calls from school about this oh, did very I ever. same child. <laughs> you know, but I this is the child who owns his own lawn care business. And so when we can let them shine in their own way, I know he didn't love art class, but oh boy, look at all the other things he's doing creatively. And I think part of that is letting go of the notion that, and I'm a former educator or once an educator, always an educator, I don't know, but if parents can keep in mind that actually pretty close to 100% school is not designed for your boy, school is not set up for your boy to succeed. I was in a sixth grade class yesterday there's it's a small class many many girls three boys and it was fascinating to watch those three boys and how uncomfortable in their bodies they were in having to sit still (laughs) oh my gosh oh it's awful one's really short the other two are really tall and gangly and but they're you know there's only three of them so they're they're together it's just heart-wrenching to watch the 
way that school just doesn't fit. This system that we've set up really doesn't fit our boys. So it's changing the expectations around that. It's recognizing that, as you said, Emily, our girls can do this. It's a lot harder for our boys. It's going to take more patience. It's going to take more time for, for them to get to a place where maybe they can do school. He may be a senior in high school before he can do do, and I'm putting air quotes around that, do school. Right. And I've, I've seen that. I've seen it like finally all gel the last year of high school, right? Yeah. It finally clicks. And then that's really exciting, but it's a matter of believing in your child's value beyond academics. Right. And I think that's what you were saying earlier, Jen, if we can back off on the focus on grades and really acknowledge that ugh, you have to go to school every day and you don't like school. That's rough, right? That's yeah. hard. You have to spend hours somewhere that you don't enjoy. I mean, you can maybe help them pick out the slices of joy throughout the day. Cause I'm sure there are some, but then it's how can you create space for them to nurture different passions and joys yes. in their life to make sure they have that in their life rather than harping on all of their academics. I love that so much. Believing in your child's value beyond academics. It's really just about believing in your child's value. And for me, and Janet, I, I hear this from you as, as Bo, your grandson, is growing as well. For me, one of the most joyful parts of parenting, of, of you know, helping children grow, being part of that process, is like seeing them become themselves, discover themselves. Uh, grow their skills. And Emily, that's really what this is about, right? Yes. Are you loving this conversation as much as we are? Oh my goodness. Stay tuned for more after these messages from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about Byheart Baby Formula. Byheart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order, byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet, but a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And 
I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve and I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no, and they taste good and they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y dot Easy Melts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash onboys. Boys get dirty in the summer. When my guys were little, they spent so much time in the sandbox, in the dirt, that the bath water was visibly filthy by the end of bath time. I imagine that Bo will be spending some time outside this summer. Well, I'm remembering just yesterday what he looked like at the end of the day in Oma's garden because his hair was greasy and just wild and he was definitely ready for the bath. And I love about dabble and dollop, especially because I have Bo and he's two, is their bubble bath. I know when I put those bubbles in his bath, he's going to be in there for a long time, which is great. And the bubbles are going to last. Dabble and dollop bath products are made with high quality, natural ingredients. And as you said, there's everything from bubble bath to bath time shampoos, body washes, conditioner, lotion, bath bombs. We're using some dabble and dollop um, hand soap right now. I love the scent. I love it for myself. I'm using the coconut moisturizer. I love it. It feels great on my skin. So for kids and adults, dabble and dollop. You can go to dabble and dollop's website. That's dabblebath.com slash onboys. And you can get 20% off your first order. That's dabble bath. D-A-B-B-L-E-B-A-T-H dot com slash onboys and get 20% off for being a listener of onboys. We can do that better if we are stepping back. If we are so in every minutia of their lives, we're not doing it and we can't see it. If we're a little bit mm. stepped back, it is easier to see, oh my gosh. My kid is an actually delightful human being. What I would counsel parents in general is if there is a conflict in the family that is just repeated, like there's something over and over that is coming up, that needs to be paid attention to. And, you know, if you're constantly fighting about schoolwork, there needs to be a reset. There needs to be something that goes differently with that. Let's dig into that one because, Janet, you know, this is all too common from, Mm -hmm. you know, six-year-olds all the way up to 16, 17-year-olds. So how would you advise, Emily, uh, parents kind of reset that? Well, it depends on the age of the child, obviously. And in my book, I do break out early childhood, middle childhood, and adolescence for the different chapters so that 
the developmental needs are considered. Listeners, this is a fantastic thing about her book. Like every point she makes, she then has sections of specifically with words, what an autonomy supportive approach may look like at the early childhood stage, what it might look like with a teenager, what it might look like with, you know, say a middle school aged kid. It is so accessible because she gives you examples of things to say or things not to say, better things to say. So you don't have to try and figure that all out on your own. So this is a huge plus of your book in my mind, Emily. So if we've got, let's let's make up a hypothetical, let's say a nine-year-old boy and homework is the battle every single day. Yep. I've been there. So, uh, <laughs> and I actually have a whole section on homework in the book, but I will say first you want to kind of understand the root because there could be different whys. Yeah. Right. And so having a good discussion with your nine-year-old who has the capacity to reflect a little bit, ask open-ended questions, getting their perspective about their experience showing that you have empathy for what they're going through, whatever the struggle is, even if you would minimize it in your head, you don't want to do that to them. Mm-hmm. And then really involving them in a plan. How can we have this feel, have this whole homework thing feel better? Mm-hmm. So for example, my son, I mean, he was a little younger than nine at the time, but it turned out he just was so tired, you know, yeah. and we weren't giving enough credit for how tired he was when he got home. He came up with the idea, well, I can do my math in the morning because my brain is more awake. Mm. And I'm like, well, we can try it. At first, I'm thinking there's no way. But he did. I mean, yeah. it was his idea and he followed through. It matters in this case that he doesn't want to show up to school with homework not done. But what was happening is he was getting anxious because he was overwhelmed. Yeah. So I think Mm -hmm. it's doing that problem solving with them, finding the root of what's going on underneath the homework power struggle, and then problem solving with them, understanding their experience, while still having the expectation that the homework gets done. And some families don't do homework, and that's fine. Like, that's a personal choice. Research is all over the place with that. But if homework is the expectation, you're still maintaining the expectation, but you're being flexible within it. You said something there that I I need to call out because part of this process you had to do, you had to hold on to and temporarily suspend your judgment about how you thought this would go, you know, and that's so common for a lot of us as parents, because let's face it, we've lived longer than our kids. We know these kids. In some cases, we feel like we know these kids better than they know themselves at this point. And maybe we do. So it's very easy for us as parents to go, okay, yeah, buddy, sure, sure. You're going to get up and you're going to get your homework done before school. You can hardly get out the door in the morning, you know, hold on to all that judgment for a little bit because listen, it's already bad. You have nothing to lose by trying it. Yeah. Yeah what's the harm in just giving it a shot and seeing mm-hmm. what happens? And our kids and then, do surprise us. And, and they are often more capable than we think they are. Oh, yeah. Yes. I think I love this, Emily, because it is it is that place of wherever there is conflict, wherever there is a rub with your child, stop and ask them. You know, it is we get caught up in this place, like Jen said, of, Oh, we know you better than you know yourself. But I think this whole book is about 
you know yourself, dear child, and let's run with that for a little bit. So any place where there's conflict, ask them first and then go from there and come up with a solution. And your son came up with a brilliant solution for himself and that he knew that or you helped guide him to knowing that about himself early is setting him up for success. Right. And think about, you know, they come home from a long day of school where they have very little choice in how their day goes at school. So to have a sense of choice, which is part of autonomy, part of parenting is including choices when possible, but to have a sense of choice and how his afternoon goes and how his homework routine goes, gives him more agency. And then he's more likely to be internally motivated and do it. So it all fits together. I want to dig into one more point before we let you go, because I love that early on in the book, you acknowledge that culture and cultural expectations affect our parenting. So you call out very clearly that, you know, one of the obstacles for parents right now is like, we are all time stressed. Yes. And that makes it hard for us to support our kids' uh, autonomy because we're just like, put your shoes on and get out the door. So that's a pretty universal stress. But you also call out, you know, specific cultural issues. Black boys. Yes. Their reality in this country is different than mine. And as a result, I was really surprised when I first learned this. Like I saw um, something online in a documentary and these parents were on their black boys about their homework and about their school stuff in a way that I found really like, wow, that's a lot of pressure. But you point out that there's reasons and just address this issue, please. Yes. And I will start by saying there has to be more research done. There is not enough research. The little there is out there, I included in the book. I do think it's really important to take all of this context into consideration. I think when it comes to like a huge part of autonomy, supportive parenting is expecting independence and kind of letting our kids go. I mean, literally go into the neighborhoods without us. And that can be a different experience for Black families, especially for Black sons, because of how they're treated by law enforcement. You know, there's uh, data mm-hmm. showing that Black boys are most likely to get the attention of law enforcement. And I've seen it in my own community. So I, I just, I know this is a real parenting concern that should not be left out of the discussion. Because when you're concerned about your child's physical safety, that has to come first. And so some of this, these higher expectations, so let's call it that, around excelling in school and being a model citizen, that can be protective, unfortunately, due to racism, it's protective. Mm -hmm. But that is for those parents helping their children be safe and successful. And so... The literature does show, though, that within that, there's ways to be autonomy supportive. It's not this either or thing. These families are having discussions with their sons about why this is so important. You know, that's autonomy supportive is really talking through the rationale for the high expectations and including their children in that process. I think for all of us, this is a reminder to, first of all, 
we need all need to work on stopping being so judgmental about everybody else's parenting because they have things going on that we don't know about. This is true for every mm-hmm. single family. And we as a culture have some work to do to make supporting the autonomy of our children a priority culturally, that this is something that is easier for parents to do in our society. Right. And I know Lenore Skenazy, who wrote Free Range Kids, she, mm-hmm. you know, has this whole let grow organization that is active legally, you know, with changing legislation because the laws are ridiculous in term and very fear driven. And parents are rightfully nervous about having child services, protection services called on them. Yeah. Yeah, And that's another real issue. And I worked for years in child protection. I know the reality of that whole system and how much bias there is in that system. Mm-hmm. And some families are going to be more vulnerable than others for, you know, systemic reasons, not because the families are different from each other. So those are real issues to keep in mind. So it is finding it's that balance of what can we do in our families to make a difference and have Mm -hmm. our influence with our kids within the consideration of this larger context. And where do we want to make change? You know, maybe there's a way to become part of the change. Emily, your book is so good. Listeners, I highly recommend it. However old your kid is, this is a book for you. The book is Autonomy Supportive Parenting, Reduce Parental Burnout, and Raise Competent, Confident Children. Emily, where can people find more about your book online? Are you doing presentations? Are you doing speaking? I would love to do speaking if anyone's interested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reach out. But I do have a website, emilyedlinphd.com. I have a Substack newsletter, The Art and Science of Mom, but I do a weekly Autonomy Supportive Diaries uh, newsletter. So it's kind of the practice of autonomy, supportive parenting in real life. And then I can be found at Dr. Emily Edlin on all the social media channels. I'm going to put these links in the show notes. And I also want to call out the fact that you are uh, co-hosting a podcast as well right now. I am. It's a new gig for me. I'm very excited. Uh, it's Psychologist Off the Clock. Just tell us a little bit about what that is. So Psychologist Off the Clock actually shares a mission that I've had in all of my writing, which is to bring science-based information to people to live richer and more meaningful lives. So it covers all kinds of aspects of human behavior and relationships. And of course, I'm kind of the parenting point person now. Love it. Janet, you know, I'm all about this because all the research and stats I'm bringing to this all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Emily, thank you so much for this conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. There are so many gems in this conversation. Maybe this will be a podcast that you come back to and listen to again. And share this with your parenting partner. Share it with a teacher. Share it with a friend. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. And I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. (laughs) 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.